Um, I'm sat with Dr. Rebecca Moore, who is a perinatal psychiatrist and co-founder of Make Birth Better. We met back in February um, when you had your first Make Birth Better conference. Yeah. And I came along bobbing the baby, (laughs) trying to peek through the glass. So thank you so much for making time to chat with me. No, you're welcome. Um, So why don't we start with with you introducing yourself and and what you do. Yeah, so I'm a perinatal psychiatrist, which essentially means that I work with women and their families through any stage of their pregnancy up to a year postnatally. And that can be with whatever they're experiencing or presenting with to me. So it might be anxiety, depression, psychosis, um, birth trauma, infertility, a whole range of different ways that women might want to have some support really and that's community-based and I would be seeing people in outpatients and really working collaboratively with women to think about what what they need to support them so I suppose I'm quite non-medical in some senses in that I'm just as likely to say I want you to do exercise as uh, prescribe. I mean, I prescribe. I think there's a real place for prescribing, but yeah. I like to offer all the choices, really, because I think sometimes that can be one of the problems is that women are shoehorned into the only thing that's available, and it might not be what they want or what they need. Yeah, what's right for them at that time. Yeah, so that's what I do, and I've done that for a long time, um, and something that I'm really, really passionate about. And I suppose what happened around... I guess about seven years ago was that actually because I know these women really, really well, so I might have known them since they were six weeks pregnant, Yeah, is that when they were coming back to me after they'd had baby, they were so distressed and traumatised by their birth experience. And that's where my interest in birth trauma stemmed from. Initially with me just trying to find out, you know, more about it. And when I looked, there really wasn't a lot going on in that space at that time. So I decided to have a conference really because I wanted to learn more about it. So I thought, you know, let's try and do this. Um, And that's sort of grown and become an annual thing. And then with Make Birth Better, Emma Svanberg, who's my gorgeous work wife, um, was doing very much the same thing. So we thought if we joined together, um, you know, we're just more powerful um, and, you know, hopefully people will hear what we're saying yeah. more. And really the response to that has been, you know, phenomenal, which is partly wonderful, but partly highlights how big the issue is Absolutely. as well, really. So yeah. we only started a little over, you know, a year and a half ago and just had stories from women and men and and people working in maternity units from all across the world. Yeah. Um, so we know that there's a lot of work to be done, particularly around birth trauma. Mm. So you you started looking at this seven years ago. So I sort of I, I I I think what what I keep coming back to is that when I was training, actually, yeah. there wasn't really very much discussion about trauma. Yeah. You know, it, it feels like now there is a lot. Yeah. If you're kind of yes. tuned into it. Yeah. But that's only recent. That's I only. I think it is. I mean, you know, obviously researchers and people that mm. um, you know, perhaps working with military veterans, were very mm. well voiced about thinking about trauma. Mm. But certainly through my training, there wasn't really that much about trauma. 
And my first job actually as a consultant was working in a female um, psychiatric intensive care ward. So people that were very, very unwell. But actually, after about a week, I thought, this is all trauma. This is all about trauma. This is about trauma of people's childhood, yeah. mothering, being separated from their parents, yeah. having children in care, um, you know, lots and lots of traumatic life events that were causing them to be so distressed. Yeah. So it's really something that I've almost taught myself about, you know, back to front. You know, yeah. I really wish it was embedded in everyone's training actually and that's yeah. what we're trying to push for is that we want services to be trauma informed yeah all the way through because yeah. that's the right way around because yeah. we all have layers of trauma you know and I think sometimes trauma we think of it it's a big word and perhaps it's not well understood and people think or oh, isn't that just associated with war but actually you know lots of us can probably think of life events that have been traumatic it might be a death of a loved one a separation a relationship ending yeah. even you know things like i can think about one time where i had a job interview and it went so disastrously wrong yeah. and i felt really traumatized yeah. afterwards and these are all different degrees of trauma that we carry within us yeah. so it's really really important to recognize that i think w with the word trauma it's very easy to go well it wasn't ideal but it's fine yeah and and to yeah. kind of um belittle our own experiences mm. because trauma does hold such weight as yeah. a word yeah but actually there are sort of micro traumas that happen daily other day you know yeah and and then obviously it's on a, a scale yeah but they all leave an imprint Absolutely. And then I think if you think about that in terms of maternity, yeah. if your system is just set up to recognise that we are all unique beings with our own history, yeah. that we don't just fit into a nice pathway or a tick box, and to think about how that might impact on being pregnant or giving birth, then that's such a better way round yeah. than actually not looking at any of that and then waiting for more the trauma fallout. to happen. Um, so that's part of the work that we're doing is actually, you know, it's got to come in pregnancy and it's got to be thinking about the whole model of care we provide as well. So this is huge. <laughs> yeah. so, there's so many layers to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when you just think about how many uh, midwives a woman might see throughout pregnancy, mm. how many people might be present at the birth alone. Yeah. yeah. And then different health visitors, different midwives, mm. postnatally, like mm. it's such a massive, I mean, it's massive. Yeah, it's huge. Massive There's task. No yeah. Um, it is, but I do feel that it's something can be achieved. It's not going to be quick and yeah. it's not going to be as quick as I would like it to be for women that are still in the system and experiencing yeah. it. But I think, you know, you can think about ways that actually um, relatively easily you can achieve that. So, you know, you make training about trauma mandatory yeah. for every midwife and every obstetrician mm. and every anaesthetist and mm. anybody that is in contact with a woman through her journey yeah. knows about it and knows what the signs might be yeah. and knows how to signpost. Yeah. And that's actually fairly still a big piece of work but it is something that's achievable yeah um and i think you know then you have to replicate that for gps and health visitors the people that are working in primary care yeah and you know that is achievable because if you think back to how we 
thought about postnatal depression even 15 years ago. That is essentially what has happened, is that everybody now, I think, fairly confidently could say they're aware of it and are better able to think about postnatal depression. And that's something that's only really happened over the last 15 to 20 years. So it is doable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But I think the other layer is about you know, thinking about how teams are functioning within the NHS. And what we see at Make Birth Better is that actually a lot of birth trauma is not caused by medical things going wrong. It's about interpersonal skills. So it's how you're made to feel, how you're spoken to, a lack of kindness, a lack of compassion, feeling alone, feeling unheard, feeling silenced. And I think that's even more important when you think about the statistics relating to black and Asian women. Absolutely. You know, so you've got racism, systemic racism added on for them as well. So yeah. that's a really toxic, frightening, dangerous mix. Yeah. And we know that rates of, you know, compassion and burnout in pretty much anyone in the NHS are really high. Yeah. There's actual, you know, huge, beautiful, big studies that show us this is happening, the Indigo study, the Whelm study. You know, if you look those up, they are pretty damning of how people are feeling. Yeah. So we cannot ignore this yeah. or avoid this anymore, nor nor should we be. No. But what happens essentially is that you have a midwife coming onto a shift really wanting to provide the best care. But it might be her third 12-hour shift in a row. She's exhausted physically, but most, more importantly, she's exhausted mentally. Mm. And what you get with that then is a sort of compassion fatigue where mm. you can just about be in the space, but you haven't got anything else left to give. And how that's felt for a woman in labour is feeling alone. Yeah, especially... And so you get this vicious circle of trauma. Yeah. And unless you tackle one part, you can't solve some of the causes of birth trauma. Yeah, you have to look at the whole picture. Yeah, yeah. I think that's something that um, perhaps isn't always seen is that the the workers and the trauma that they have seen, witnessed, or bringing mm. into the space themselves, mm. and, and like you said, not having that time to debrief or put down mm. and going on to their third 12-hour shift. It's, yeah. Y- you can see how this just compounds... Yeah, and of course, you know, I want to say to anybody listening this to this that's had a traumatic birth, that that can never excuse no. poor care. No. Absolutely not, no. ever. But I think you can begin to understand why sometimes that poor care happens. Yeah. And it's actually, you know, it's not... I think it's really difficult, isn't it? Because, of course, we as individuals need to hold some accountability for our own health and our capacity to practice. You know, I believe that very strongly for myself is I, I know when I'm getting worn out and tired and I have to build things into my life to protect against that. Yeah. Because clearly the nature of the work is very emotionally demanding. And, you know, I, I want to be able to listen to people and hear them. I don't want them to feel unheard in any yeah. way. But also the system has to take responsibility for its staff as well. We know that record numbers of staff are leaving the system and often sooner than before. So, you know, excellent midwives are leaving after three or four years because they just can't tolerate working in that way. Mm. So it has to come from within the system as well. And time after time, what I hear from people is that they want proper space to reflect 
and process what's happened where they can feel heard as well mm. and they want the managers to be part of that so that they actually hear what's going on for people on the ward yeah so they need individual supervision and reflective supervision as teams and also I think you know to be able to challenge each other to be able to say you know how do you think you might have said that a bit better because often it's about language and communication mm. and sometimes people go through you know particularly doctors I think they just don't get any feedback so they perhaps don't even realize yeah. that you know the way they're saying things but these are all things that you know the NHS should be getting right and you know and not that expensive or difficult but but just need to be seen as core to our care not fluffy add-ons yeah know, they're vital they yeah. matter the most to women is how you make them feel yeah absolutely what why do you think it hasn't why do you think it isn't there especially for for the for the workers for nhs workers mm. for doctors midwives is there any space for them at the moment to debrief and have have that or is it just not in existence i think it's very variable that's the trouble yeah. is that it's hugely different from place to place okay so some teams have got it really right they're very trauma informed they have regular debriefs and they really think about it together as a team in a non-blaming or shaming way yeah um but other places we know that's not going on at all or that individual members of the team feel afraid to raise their voices in case they're bullied or that wow. there's any kind of negative consequences from from the higher mm. echelons of, of the place and you know certainly for doctors say you know I, I just have to have a yearly appraisal and I think that's that's it that's not good no, no, no <laughs> you know because no. if I was in trouble or I was struggling um, there's no real route there. You you know, we have our own peer groups, which can be fantastic. But even with them, it might only be three or four times a year. Yeah. And if you want to have your own supervision, then you have to arrange it yourself, essentially. Some, you know, some groups like psychology, I think, do it really well. And they do have really good supervision. Mm. But for medics and midwives, I think it's it's not where it, where it should be. Yeah. So I think it's that. It's that if you feel you've got so much to do and it's not mandatory and you're, it's it falls on the day off and so you have to you don't have childcare that day. Yeah. It's just it's about making it seem like this is not an add-on. This is absolutely vital for yeah. your health. Yeah. And then there's a whole other you know narrative that I think needs to come into that of you know why are hospital spaces universally so bad for our health? Why do they have no gardens why can't we have a low-cost gym yeah. on site why yeah. can't we have proper food why can't we have patients have mandatory lunch times why can't we yeah you know and say you need to stop you need to eat you need yeah. to drink you need to care for yourself yeah and how much more productive would everybody be because of that yeah Little, tiny changes but they would make a huge difference yeah absolutely I'm just I'm having like flashbacks to <laughs> to um to being at Homerton when I was attending uh, a lady's birth I was doulaing for her mm. and um she wanted well actually she didn't want to go outside and she'd had she was having a, a tough time this was postpartum 
And I was like, we just need to get you outside. Mm. And we walked around the car park because that's all there is. Mm. And for her, that was great. She got fresh air, she got sunlight and she felt mm. good. But also thinking if you're there for 12 hours working yeah, and exactly. that's your outside space yeah. to get air, it's, yeah. it hadn't even occurred to me. Mm. I mean, you do get some places that have got beautiful little gardens tucked away and yeah. oh, they are so loved and so used. Yeah. You know, when I was working at Mile End, it had this gorgeous garden at the back with a little fountain and lavender yeah. and all year round there would be people out yeah. there using yeah. it. It was absolutely invaluable as a space yeah. to just to take a quick breath yeah but I also think you know we're increasingly preaching this for people yeah but we're not doing it ourselves yeah so we have to be able to really think about how do I build that in and you know of course we're all really busy we're all flat out but I know that if I take 15 minutes break, I'm much more productive when mm. I come back mm. rather than just plowing on through. Mm. Absolutely. And I know if I don't eat properly that I can't think straight by the end of the day. Yeah. But I don't always want to eat rubbish canteen food. Mm. I want to eat something healthy. Yeah. Um, and I know that, you know, if there's a gym on site, I would be going to it even if it was for 15 minutes. Yeah. So these are all really simple things that actually I think could have a massive impact for people. Yeah. If we look at like companies like Facebook and Google, obviously yeah. it's a completely different yeah. it's a different field because of the money involved and mm. you know private companies and stuff, but they have I think they've upped their productivity rate drastically by providing everything that anyone could ever possibly want or need on site. So they have yeah. I mean, they have everything from like a climbing wall. I'm not suggesting yeah, that, but yeah. just giving people that breakout space to top themselves up yeah. before they go back into a working environment. And I think for some of those companies as well, it's mandatory. It's part of your working week. It's yeah, embedded that you in have week. to take that time. Yes. So you can do whatever you like, but that is your hour break wow. for physical exercise. Yeah. So it's not just a you've got to add this in on top yeah. on top of everything else yeah. it's actually part of your hours that's so great which i just think is you know is really important yeah i guess it's i mean we've gone we've gone really <laughs> off on off subject off on one here but it's just interesting and and i think especially when we're looking at women's uh, mental health during that perinatal period mm. but again that knock-on effect of well, how how can they be held and looked after if the people that are looking after them aren't looking after themselves like they're no, you know exactly. it's a knock-on and they can't be and they yeah. get birth trauma happening and yeah. we just know that it's it's replicated in so many studies and mm. you know when I sit with women of course sometimes it is a medical event and mm -hmm. you feared that you were going to die or that something was going to happen to baby but actually you know six or seven times out of ten it's something that somebody said to you yeah. or the way they've said it or how the, or they've silenced you and it's that that loops around in your head. Yeah. And that you can't, you can't forget. Yeah. So these things are really, really important. And, you know, of course, we can't get it right all the time. We all say sometimes things that yeah. oh, I wish I'd said that differently or... But then go back and say, I'm really sorry. Can I just check with you how you understood that? Or yeah. I think I might not have explained that in a really good way. It's, yeah. not, it's not talking... It's a conversation. It's a two-way thing. And I think you always need to be checking in. 
particularly in birth when people are tired and in pain and frightened vulnerable and really uniquely vulnerable and you know there comes another issue of things like consent yeah which is another huge thing that can impact on birth trauma is that telling somebody what you're going to do is not consent no somebody not raising a concern is not consent and I think, you know, a lot of women find that part of their birth really difficult is that things are presented to them as I'm just going to do this. Yeah. And 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 afterwards, or even at the time, they're thinking, Why are you doing this? Well they and yeah, I think what can you explain it to me? Women don't know they have a choice exactly, as well. Exactly. A lot of the time. So I always try to say to, you know, the families that are there that, you know, never be afraid to ask questions and if in the moment you're in your zone and you're in pain, have had this conversation beforehand with your partner. Yeah. How do you want them to advocate for you? Because yeah. they really might have to do that. Yeah. You might lose your voice temporarily because you're, you know, you're you're in the thick of it. Yeah. You're in pain or you're tired. But unless you've had those conversations first, yeah. your partner won't know. Yeah. So really have thought about what you want and don't want and never be afraid to challenge somebody yeah why are you doing that what are the benefits what are the risks what happens if we brian. don't do anything <laughs> brian you know, or brain yeah it's really good brian the brain because yeah. you know it, it gives you a really good tool it does to yeah. challenge people and you know let me tell you a good provider will not mind no. answering those questions at all yeah. so and you're not being bullshit you're not being difficult you're not being stroppy you know this is so important you need yeah. to feel like you're you're knowing what's happening and why yeah absolutely um and the fallout from a traumatic birth or a mm. traumatic event around that as you said a postnatal depression yeah ptsd so yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder yeah um, anxiety, yeah, OCD, yeah, psychosis, yeah, huge. I mean, it can potentially be the cause of lots of different things beginning. You know, day to day, it can make new motherhood feel really hard, yeah. really scary, really tiring. It can have an impact on your relationship, you know, sexual difficulties yeah. or issues with partner, and it can have an effect on how you feel about parenting yeah. and being with baby. So it's really, really important to get it right. And, you know, I think it's also important to know that you might have been traumatized, but not develop any of those mm. illnesses, mm. but it still feel really tough. Mm. You don't have to have yeah, a medical definitely. diagnosis to be finding it really, really hard. Yeah. So it might be that, you know, you can't stop thinking about your birth, you're constantly talking about it, mm. you're having nightmares about it, you feel very sort of on edge and anxious, and I think something else bad is going to happen, so I'm not going out, or I don't want to take baby out, or I don't want to be separated from baby. And all those things are really, really hard mm. to cope with. So you don't have to have, you know, a formal depression or PTSD to be really struggling mm. day to day. I think one of the things that I've noticed is that when we talk about birth or with women are telling friends, family, all well-meaning mm. about their birth experience and mm. say it deviates from their ideal plan and, mm. and they might not have postnatal depression or PTSD or be experiencing any sort of labelled yeah. term but they're struggling in a way yeah. and then they relay their birth story and mm. often women are met with well 
well done, baby's happy, you're yeah. okay. And then yeah. all of a sudden they're completely, yeah. you know, mm. that feeling is not being heard, it's not being seen, it's being dismissed. Mm. And I think what, what would be useful or a, a good conversation for people to have that are going to visit someone that's had a baby is that we're not there to make it better. Yeah. We're there just to be there yeah. and to hold space for them. And, yeah. and that's something that we find difficult. That as, as a society yes. we find difficult yes. to not fix. Mm. Because inherently most people are nice. Yeah, and, they and want it's well-meaning. Yeah. And it is well-meaning. But time and time again, the most important thing that often people say happened with me is that I just sat and listened and heard their story. Mm. And you don't interrupt. You don't offer immediate solutions you just hear it in whatever form that takes and that's so validating for women and mm. sometimes often actually not sometimes nobody's asked them like you say we have these brief conversations which can either be very clinical you know it's all about how you're feeding are you bleeding yeah. have you yeah. had sex yet are you using contraception your six week but check, what's missing is how are you how are things and then a real space and time for it all to come out because yeah. invariably everyone says fine and then you have to ask again <laughs> yeah. and you know if if your only forum has been your nct group say where you really don't know these people that well and they you they they tell you a story of you know what seems to be a different story to yours that's quite silencing because you don't feel you know people yeah. or you don't want to scare people or you feel I can't really tell you the whole ins and outs of it because actually mm. it was really hard. Mm. Or like you say, it's just the, you know, well done, the baby's fine, that's childbirth, get on with it. You know, really shaming and silencing. Mm. So it, it can be really hard for women to find space to tell that story because I think also most women don't want to scare people. Yeah. Or they'll say you know, I've got a pregnant friend, but I can't tell her my birth story because yeah. I don't want to worry her. So you're left feeling very, very alone. Yeah. So, you know, in whatever role you work, you know, if you have the opportunity to be able to do that with somebody, it is so helpful for women for you to be able to do that. And often, actually, I find it happens in, you know, the yoga studio or with the physiotherapist or not with a mental health professional. And that is also absolutely fine. And for some, it might happen online because mm. you can be anonymous mm. and nobody knows where you live. And, you know, there are a couple of really good online closed groups specifically for birth trauma. Okay. So that can be hugely helpful because you can feel, I'm not alone. These people really get it mm. in a way that perhaps other people don't. And I can be free to say whatever I want to say, which is really, really helpful as well. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, so women that might experience postnatal depression, PTSD, mm. how might their sort of family members around them either spot that, mm. um, signposts, yeah. and help them? Yeah. Not obviously not in a... Uh, sort of psych psychiatrist way, yeah, sure. <laughs> signpost yeah. to adequate help. But how yeah. how can that appear? How can it present to to family members? So I think in terms of spotting things, you know, that's really hard, isn't it? Because you've got so much shift and change all at once. Mm. And I think that's part of the difficulty is that sometimes it can take a while to realise this is not just being a new mum, particularly if it's your first yeah. baby. 
So I always talk about sort of it, you know, we can all have a really bad day when we're new mum, where you cry all day and everything just feels overwhelming. But if it's most days, mm. for most of the day, then that's slightly different. Mm. And it can be a whole host of things. It might be, you know, people just feeling low all the time or anxious all the time, not being able to sleep, not being able to eat not wanting to go out, you know, and you as family and friends know that person best. Yeah. So I think often you can recognise that something's not quite right. And you don't have to be doing more than that. Even if you're worrying about that, you might be having a gentle conversation saying, you know, it seems like things are really difficult for you at the moment. Maybe we should think about what we could do to help you with that. Mm. Clearly, if it's something like a psychosis, then that's usually very dramatic and yeah. very quick. And I think pretty much everyone would would think something is not right here. But, you know, if it's uh, trauma or anxiety, it can be a more of a slower creep of symptoms. So that can take time to sort of think about together. And then usually the starting point for most people in the UK would be going to see your GP yeah. or speaking to your health visitor. And I completely recognise that the response you get to that is going to be very, very variable. Some people have got amazing GPs. Some people sadly haven't. So I think try and take somebody with you. Try yeah. and have written down what the key symptoms are. At Make Birth Better, we've got some crib sheets you can print out which have got the symptoms of trauma. So you might take that and say, this is happening to me. Okay. So it can prompt a discussion. Yeah. A lot of places in London have nominated perinatal mental health champion GPs. Oh, wow. So you could ask specifically to speak to them because they should be better informed. Yeah. Sometimes I think you're going to have to go back twice if you don't get, you know, the response you want. And yeah. that is, it's so courageous to step forward and go yeah. forward. And I know then if you're met with a difficult response, that's really, really heartbreaking. But I think... Sometimes you do have to go back. And for some women, perhaps, you know, they don't go that route. They go in a private setting, mm. which can be really brilliant. And But, you know, it's still... It, or clearly, it's not accessible for all. And you still have to be careful about who you're going to see and mm. making sure that they're the right person for you. So the other route would be things like helplines, yeah. um, which I think can be invaluable because sometimes coming to see me as a psychiatrist might seem far too scary. And that's fine. That is absolutely fine. You choose what is right for you. So Pandas have a great free helpline. Ames have a great free mm. helpline. And if that can begin the conversation for you, perfect. You start where you need to start. Or sometimes women can't say it, so they write it. They journal, yeah. they keep a diary. And that in itself can be really, really helpful and powerful. So I think it's, you know, can feel really pressuring, but you start where you need to start. But if you can get to the GP, then that can be a route into somebody sitting with you and mapping out what's available locally yeah. for you. Um, women, there's two things that have come up for me yeah. there is the uh, medication yeah women can be worried about taking mm. medication especially mm. if they're breastfeeding mm. but the other side to that was the fear of then not being seen fit to yeah. look after your baby yeah so how does i mean they're two two different things but how so let's go with the baby <laughs> <laughs> 
So that is probably the commonest thing that yeah. I hear. And we know that half of all women with perinatal mental illness will never disclose or seek help. And I'm pretty that's sure that that's hard. the reason, is yeah. that women fear that they're going to be judged or that they're going to be referred to children's social care or that they might be separated from their baby. In practice, that's not the remit of why people are working. You know, the whole focus is on supporting mum and baby and families mm. together. Okay. So from a professional perspective, that's not on our mind at all. Okay. It's about what does this mum need? How can we support that? Where does that need to be supported? But, you know, universally, that is everyone's fear underneath. Yeah. But we know that. We know that. And, you know, we hope that... When you come to meet with us, whoever that might be, you'll be able to see that that's not what we're thinking about. We just want to support mum and the whole family mm. and baby mm. to be as well as she can feel. So it's actually, you know, really rare that we would ever make those type of referrals. And actually, for some women, it can end up being helpful because it can lead yeah. to added in care and um, things like nursery care. And, you know, so it's not... I think it's, you know, it's always perceived as a punitive thing about mm. social workers wanting to come in and remove the baby. Yeah. Whereas in reality, that's a very small part of their role. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I have worked with some unbelievably amazing social workers that, you know, their whole goal was to support mum, yeah. not about separation. Yeah. But, you know, I understand that that is a common fear for people. In terms of medication, I think, you know, that is still a very stigmatising subject for people. Um, we know that there is a role for medication yeah. and some people want medication and there are lots of medications that you can take and breastfeed on so you don't have to stop breastfeeding. I think the key for me is that you need to have had that discussion with an expert Yeah. because what I want is for you to be able to make a truly informed choice. Mm. So we've gone through all the risks, all the benefits, yeah. the, the latest literature, I can tell you what percent of the drug goes into the breast milk you know, so that you really know you've thought it's about it carefully. It's informed consent again, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Yeah. And it's communication and it's transparency. And there's no doubt that for some women, um, medication is the right choice. Yeah. And they've become very unwell very quickly and perhaps very, very suicidal. And they get better really quickly. Yeah. And, you know, that that is a risk issue and medication was the right choice. Um, I think there's a lot of fear about stopping and starting medication. And rightfully so, it needs to be done with a specialist again. It's not something you just stop dead or stop without yeah. support. It should be part of generalised care. Yeah. But, you know, I work with lots of women that do take medication and find it really, really helpful. I work with some that don't want to go down that route at all. And again, that's absolutely fine. I can think, we can hold differing views. I can say to them... If you were amenable, I would have prescribed you this, but mm. you don't want it, and that's fine. Mm. And we would think about other choices and yeah. options. It should never feel that you're being coerced into doing something. Yeah, or even fobbed off with it, kind of like, oh, here yeah. you go, here's your meds, off you go. I think that can often happen with trauma, is that people go and they know they're not depressed, but they're pushed a prescription yeah. across uh, a table without really knowing what it is mm. or why they should take it. And clearly that's not good enough. No. And for a lot of um, scenarios, therapy is a really, really good starting point. But therapy is not always the quickest process. Yeah. It will absolutely work, but it by nature takes 
some time. So there is a group of women that need medication to bridge that gap. Mm. And, you know, if women are not breastfeeding, there are all kinds of things. There might be herbal remedies or CBD or, yeah. you know, there are a whole... You know, there are numerous choices within medication as well. And yeah. I think, you know, again, for me, it's about knowing that somebody is aware of all those different choices as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go a little bit off. <laughs> Just going to go, go off there. Okay. But we spoke about it earlier, and I think it is quite... I, well, it is relevant to how uh, women, or just people in general, but mums especially, who are perhaps vulnerable mm. um the role that social media plays yeah in in ha well in our mental health <laughs> yeah. how do you I mean do you have any feelings around that because it can be done it can be used in such a positive way in connecting people and make birth better on social media and it's mm. talking about trauma which is getting out there which is so important mm. um so my view is I, it's complicated, isn't it? I think it's a real double-edged sword for yeah. most people, myself included. Yeah. You know, I, I find it wonderful and stressful all at the yeah. same time most days. From women that I speak to, there's no doubt that for some of them it was an absolute lifeline. So the same thing of finding groups, finding a voice, finding yeah. a space where they felt really, really heard and could share things that they wouldn't tell anybody else, actually. I think the flip side of that is that if you're perhaps acutely unwell, it might not be the best space for you at that time. Sometimes you can't take in what's being said mm. or you can't respond to people's um, tips of how to heal. It, mm. it sometimes is helpful at different points in your journey, I think. Yeah. And also I think for some women when they've had a, you know, an illness after a while, perhaps they don't want to be linked with that anymore so they might not want to follow those accounts because yeah. they might feel like they've recovered and that's something that's not relevant to them anymore so I suppose what I try to say to people is you know just you have the power to see what you see there yeah. and if you feel able you know there might be people that you want to unfollow for a while because it might seem too difficult so say I suppose the classic one might be during awareness weeks which some people find really helpful mm. but some people just find too triggering because it seems like their whole feed is full of uh yeah. birth trauma week yeah. or or mental health day so it's just unfollow just switch off you yeah. know just don't go there for a while so i think it's very very mixed and yeah. i think it's going to be something i think that for younger generations we need to really think about in terms of their mental health because a lot of the data today is very conflicting some studies showing that for adolescents it's really helpful some showing that it's really damaging in terms of their self-esteem and confidence mm. and depression even mm. anxiety so i i don't you know i'm not there with it yet myself i mean i would say that for me Certainly spaces like Instagram I've found to be hugely collaborative. I've met people from all over the world. I love the fact that you can use art and creativity because I don't think we do enough of that in medicine. Yeah. So I love that mix of it. And it's enabled me to connect to people. And I've had amazing messages from people saying, you'll never know what this one post that day did yeah. for me. And that always makes me think of that. 50% of women that aren't disclosing yeah. that if I can reach just one person on one day that ends up feeling 
you know what, I can go forward or yeah. I can I can get through this, then perfect for me. That yeah. I think that could be the unknown power of it is that there is a group of women there that maybe never post or comment but read. Yeah. And and it is just a tiny bit of light for them that mm. day. So I think of course that part of it feels wonderful. Mm. But along with everyone else, you know, we can all fall into the sort of feeling overwhelmed and overloaded and the comparison. And I think, you know, especially as mothers, you know, it's probably about thinking of it like a magazine and only following the people that really make you feel joyful or make you giggle or Mm. post silly things or, you know, you've got to see it like that, I think. Yeah, it kind of, I think social media is, it's going to be interesting in 10, 15 years' time yeah. to look back at this yeah. period because it's become so prominent in most people's lives. Mm. And even my parents are on social media. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> everyone's on social media. And um, it's relatively... I mean, it's new it's really in, new. in the grand scheme really of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it is looking after that mental space, as we do with people. Yes. I, I think you have to try and set some boundaries around yeah. it and and they're going to be unique to you. Yeah. I mean, I recognise for me that the sort of late night scrolling is not good for me and I fall down the invariable sort of rabbit hole and, you know, it's just mindless but not in a good way. Yeah. Um, so what, you know, what I've tried to do is 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 just not use it so much in the evening and read instead, which I find much more relaxing mm. and... And I'm also very aware of that I can't model saying to my ch- kids, get off your screens, if I'm there on my screen. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's hard, isn't it? Because you really, of course, at times it's an absolute lifesaver and I have no issue with them using screens. Yeah. You know, I used to come home from school and watch telly for three yeah. hours and it didn't yeah. really do me any harm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've got no issue with that, but I'm also really mindful of, you know what I'm modelling for them as well. And, you know, there are weeks where I've had really busy full-on days and I know that if I start doing that, it will just be too much for me personally, so I don't. Yeah. Um, But, you know, that's it's a process, isn't it, like everything else? It's like mothering. Yeah. It's, you know, it's... it's, I'm learning about it still. Yeah. I mean, I do think that it has potentially a great role for mental health. Yeah. Um, and you know, I suppose the other real growth for mental health is things like apps as well, where you there are a couple of really lovely new ones specifically for mums. What are I they? Think, Do you know? Well, there's any... things like Peanut and Mush, which yeah, are social networks, yeah. which are great if you tap in where you live and it can hook you in with new mums. Yeah. Um, there's Nourish, which is one just for mums, yeah. where it tracks you through your pregnancy and can give you sort of affirmations and grounding and relaxation Mm. kite which is fairly similar um which is also really beautiful and there's things like clementine which is you know hypnotherapy along with all the sort of longer standing meditation ones Mm. and i think that absolutely has a role to play there's a couple that are being developed around ptsd and trauma specifically which again i think you know are going to potentially be really helpful for people that can't access therapy locally or yeah. privately and it, it's yeah. just choices again isn't it yeah but for some people that might work really really well yeah it's so interesting how we're it, I just find it really interesting how our personable relationships and our mental health is apps and online and mm. Instagram are becoming such a part of that journey yes 
And I think they do have a role to play, but then I think it comes back to, doesn't it, do we lose use those? Is that why we're not getting so good at communication mm. and having difficult That's conversations? That's the other side of the coin, yeah. Um, and, you know, personally, there is no substitute for me for sitting in space for somebody. Yeah. Because then you've just got that complete connection and you can hold their hand. Yeah. You can make them a cup of tea yeah there, there is nothing like that yeah. for that connection for me personally yeah. and I do worry that sometimes if we sort of outsource all of we that start to lose it that we do we lose a bit of that so mm. I think ideally a mixture of mm. you know little bits of all of it can mm. be great but I'd much rather sit with somebody yeah definitely have a cup of tea yeah 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 Cool. Um, thank you so much for Welcome. your time. It's really nice to see you again after yeah, and you. like a year or something, <laughs> yeah. especially minus the baby. Um, so if people would like to find you mm. or make birth better, what mm-hmm. are your links and websites? And yeah. So for me on Instagram, I'm just at Dr. Rebecca Moore um, yeah. and it's at birth better. And then the website is www.makebirthbetter.org. Perfect. Um, and like I said, there's some really good crib sheets there. Half are for parents, half are for professionals. Brilliant. They're free. You can download them. I think they can be really, really helpful. And it's got lots of um, lots of stories for women as well. I think a really important segment as well is about second births after trauma. So lots of stories of how to cope with that and, and really healing second births as well. Yeah. Because that's often a, a, a huge understandable issue for people as well, I think. Mm. And overlooked if you've done it before. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So do have a look there. There's lots and lots of stories and resources as well. Great. Cool. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Mm-hmm.